All right. Ready, Jeff? Let's do it. (laughs) Hello, and welcome to Principles for Principles, a podcast for school leaders to share, learn, and connect about current ideas and best practices in school leadership. This show is for school and district administrators. Whether you are an experienced or novice leader, this podcast is for you. We are excited about today's conversation to continue sharing and exploring ideas, tips, and resources in developing or fine-tuning your leadership skills. We are your hosts, Jeff Warshaw and Aaron Dare from the San Diego County Office of Education. And today we are excited to talk about uh, the power of asset-based data analysis with our colleague and friend, the Director of Continuous Improvement, Dr. Deborah Hernandez. She's here to talk to us about asset-based data. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Thanks for being a guest on Principles for Principles. As you know, today we asked you to join us to talk about that power of asset-based data analysis. And we know that you have some experience in this area and thought you can give your listeners some of your personal insights. So welcome. Thank you so much for having me. We're happy to have you. Um, so first I thought I'd start, I'd ask if you could start off by telling us what it means to be asset-based as it relates to data. Great. Thanks for the question, Erin. You know, in in order to answer this question, we really have to think about assets-based systems. And when we do so, we think about that this is a model where educators intentionally focus their mindsets about their students. So within the system, how are we thinking about our students, right? We know educators who have an assets-based mindset really build upon students' languages, cultures, and celebrate the strengths, gifts, and talents that students bring into the classroom every day. In terms of the system itself, we, instead of looking at what is not working, when we talk about data, we're talking about what is working. We also think about seeing individuals, students, family, and community members as the experts, right? They know their experience, they can share their experience. And this is really important, especially when we talk about the type of data that we're collecting. And then we, instead of thinking about a problem that we have to solve, we look about, we think about what kind of strengths we have in the system, what kind of strengths our students and families are bringing to us so that we can look at it from a different point of view. Also, when we're using assets-based lens, we focus on assets, of course, that we have within the system, what students are bringing to us, the family members, and emphasize their capabilities and aspirations. We've talked a lot in our department, and I think throughout the County Office of Education about the language that we use. And in terms of data, we're really leaning into the language that we are using as we are looking at data, right? Instead of um, using words such as resilient, at potential, at promise, strong, ambitious, hardworking, committed, motivated, vibrant, and inspired, using that type of language while we look at data and student characteristics, instead of an avoiding descriptors such as underprivileged, inner city, urban, at risk, troubled, ghetto, gang-affected, dangerous, and vulnerable students. So really looking at the language we are using internally to talk about data, as well as externally with the students and families that we serve. 
I really appreciate how you you were highlighting some of um, some of the way that you're changing terminology. And you know, as you're talking about it, it's really making me think that you're looking really at the whole child, right? And we talk about how can we really support our students, their families, and so the asset base is really honing in on that. And um, I know that that your department at the San Diego County Office of Ed has really. Um, really done a lot of work around that. And, and could you tell us a little bit about that journey that you've taken and, and what prompted that journey? Well, I'm super happy and glad that you use the word journey because we are realizing that this is not, uh, there's not an end in mind, right? We are yeah. on a continuous journey with this work. So what prompted this is really, this is something that has been on our mind and in the work that we do, right? And so what really prompted us to take this really deep dive is the equity blueprint for action that the San Diego County Office of Education had completed and has shared publicly, right? And we have shared it internally as well. And so it really asked us as individuals, as our team, even as our departments, you know, at County Office of Ed, um, to align our work to focus on equitable outcomes for all students. Mm -hmm. And so what that meant is that we had to really take a deep dive and do both mirror and window work, right? So we had to reflect on our own personal practices and then how can we lead that, that work as we work with districts. So as we reflected on our practices, we really realized that our internal work surrounded deficit-based view. And so when I say that, that meant that we start, we were looking for gaps in students' performance, right? We were, um, we were looking for, you know, which group was underperforming on state and local assessments. So we, the, one of the things, one of the activities that we did that was so helpful is that we just pulled some of our professional learning, some of our literature, and we did an audit. And so what kind of language are we using? And we recognize that, yes, we were definitely immersed in deficit-based language and practices. So to assist us with this, we knew that this was really a little bit outside of our comfort zone, actually a big, you know, big part of it outside of our comfort zone. So we elicited our equity team from the County Office of Ed to expand our knowledge. We worked with two fabulous people with Ebony and with Valentine, and they um, have been working with us to understand our practices, understand liberatory design, and really helping us um, shift our work to illuminate strengths as we look at data and really to step away from the practices that have been historically permeated throughout our system. And so we're really happy to continue this work. And the, like I said, Aaron, the term journey is perfect because we are continuing our journey. We are leaning into this work and we recognize that it's not gonna be completed by our next meeting. It's not going to be completed by the end of the year. This is ongoing, deep work that we want to participate in so that we can provide this assistance to our county office of ed internally as well as externally. Thanks, Deborah. That's such a powerful example of the, the impact that that change in language and that change in perspective can bring to the way your team works. And I'm wondering about the, the way that that has implications for um, how narratives change around this kind of work um, in schools and districts. And so um, would you be able to walk us through an example of how a leader in a school or a district might help to flip that narrative, um, moving from deficit-based to asset-based approaches to the use of data and to the use of language and to the just the overall approach to improving um, outcomes for all students? 
Yeah, absolutely. And this is, this question is really important and it's something that I'm going to be very honest and open that I struggle with all the time. You know, um, my experience has been from a teacher, a principal, you know, director at a at a district level and now at the county and all throughout my career I've been trained to look at gaps in in student outcomes to look at who's underperforming and so it's really taken this year has been such a an eye-opening and you know when we talk about journey it's been it's been a a challenge and I'll be very open with that because I find myself still looking for the gaps, still looking for that. And we've had this struggle. We've had this conversation within AAE because we know that it's not an all or nothing, right? We still have to know who is underperforming. We still have to know that information. How can we balance the work that we are doing to look at both the strengths, the assets, you know, what the students are bringing, where meeting them where they're at as we move forward with that other work. That other work is not going away. So when I thought about this question, I really tried to think in terms of what would it mean to me as a teacher, as a principal, as a director, and so on. So there's a lot of entry points as leaders, as you know. And so here's a couple of ideas to really think about how can we flip that narrative. One is to don't jump in to start looking at what is not working instead of instead we want to focus on what is working. We have strong systems in place, right? We have strong um, assessments, we have strong work that we're doing. So what is currently working within your system? Start there, right? And then as you unearth some of the challenges or root causes, then we can get into, okay, what, what are we looking at? which groups do we really have to intentionally focus in on. Another way is uh, what I mentioned early on in, in this session is see the individuals and families as the experts. They know, the students know what they need to learn. They know, even a kindergartner can tell you, you know, exactly what they need to learn. So seek the um, experts in this field. And so when we talk about that, there's a lot of ways to do this, right? A student is more than a number that, you know, like a kindergarten example, the letters that they know, they're more than that, right? You can have a conversation with a student to find out. You can have an empathy interview with the family, find out student background, find out information that also is, is very important to get a comprehensive view of the, of the students and the families that we serve. Also seeking to understand by creating intentional systemic and ongoing spaces, like I said, to, to listen to students, parents, and the community, making sure these are safe spaces. We heard through the blueprint that sometimes our students are Latinx, African-American, Native American students especially do not feel welcome. So making sure you have those safe spaces to have these conversations, to learn from the experts. And then, of course, looking at strengths instead of the weaknesses or problems, starting off with that asset-based lens, emphasizing capabilities and aspiration. And um, as a leader, in one of the ways that I have found is to really work on my mirror work and my mindset around students and what language I'm using. Like I said, that struggle is real. I, I, I tend to 
um, go back to what has been done historically. And so thinking about those language. So like I said, there's a lot of entry points um, really uh, for a leader to flip that narrative. I think being self-aware, focusing on what is working and emphasizing that the individual and families are the experts when it comes to their education. That's really helpful. And I appreciate the the, the consideration of just the, the complexity of all the different moving parts that we're trying to attend to. Um, and, and the idea, as you referenced earlier, that it, it's a journey, it's a work in progress. And we know that when it comes to the collective effort of a school system, we're gonna have a, some variation in where people are in their comfort level and in their experience and in their proficiency with some of these kinds of things. And, and what I really appreciate about the last part of what you, what you're, you, you just said is, the, the role of leadership in helping to guide an organization through these kind of shifts is, is so critical. And, and I think your, your advocacy for the reflective practice and that sort of mirror work and inward, inward consideration is, is super important. Knowing that there's such a continuum of, of, of kind of readiness around this um, among leaders, what, what other advice might you give to a leader as they hone leadership skills in service of this work? Yeah, this is a tough one, um, and I think it's, it's super important. I'm glad we're, we're addressing this because it, in order to practice and hone your skills, you need to be self-aware, right? You have to practice that self-awareness and do that mirror work. And I'm going to tell you that once I delved into the San Diego County Office of Education Equity Blueprint, I became self-aware of some of the areas that I really needed to work on as an individual. And I've been an advocate for working with my team. So us as leaders, we, we have the ability to advocate for this work, right? And so by doing the mirror work, recognizing some blind spots, recognizing the work that you want to work on, then you can share and lead with your internal group, with external groups, so on and so forth. Also, um, I would say that um, you have to understand that this is complex work. You have to embrace the complexity and lean into the discomfort. It is not easy. Sometimes I feel like I'm a broken record when I'm bringing up with teams and you know smaller, larger conversations, um, because it is it can be uncomfortable to to share information that maybe is not something that's absolute within the organization, right? There could be some, some blind spots in the organization. And like you said, there's just different levels of understanding of the work. So leaning into that discomfort. Also um, being a self-advocate, I always advocate too for learning. So one recommendation I would have is to learn more about liberatory design. And there's a lot of information out there about this. And it's actually one of the designs that I feel that leaders can grab a hold of and can use immediately. They have cards that you can start looking at mindsets. You can choose it. It is done in such a way that's user-friendly and can have a huge effect on your system. Also, if you haven't um, looked at the San Diego County Office of Education Blueprint, definitely have a look at that. An another plug I'd like to share is that we have have multiple student panels that are provided. There's videos that you can look on your in your own time, right? Or you can share with, with team members to really hear from the experts, which are which is our students, how they feel about, about school, about data, about 
anything. They had some great conversations there. And then finally, I think, you know, this is not an exhaustive list, I understand, but it's always so important to build that relational trust. And that is at all levels of the system. What are you doing to build relational trust with students, families, communities, staff, leaders, so on and so forth, up and down the system, making sure that you're building that relational trust because we know through research that that relational trust is going to pay you back in in large sums of trust, especially in terms of doing your equity work around data, around any other work. So I hope those are those are a few uh, examples. I know there's it's not an exhaustive list, but I really think that looking, um, practicing the self-awareness, leaning into the discomfort and building that relational trust are so important to the process. Absolutely. And I really appreciate the idea of kind of giving ourselves permission to be uncomfortable because um, a lot of this work is about refining and changing the, the, the perspectives and worldviews that have informed our systems for a long, long time. And so that kind of change is not always comfortable. And, and, and as well as um, the resources that you shared to help navigate that discomfort, I think that those are really helpful and powerful too. I know we'll include some, some links in the show notes to, uh, to help people access some of those things as well. So Deborah, we really appreciate your time and your thoughts and your expertise on, on these topics and, uh, and appreciate you joining us on the show here today. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed myself. So before we let you go, um, one of the traditions we've kind of set up on the show is to do a little kind of fun, rapid fire set of questions that have nothing to do with the conversation that we just had, but uh, might just be a fun way to uh, to connect with you if, if you're up for uh, for having a little fun with us. Absolutely. I'm always up for fun. It's Friday, right? That's right. Sounds good. All right. So we're just going to ask you three quick questions and you can give okay. us the uh, the short or long answer, whatever comes to mind. So and nothing, nothing, uh, nothing too complex here. Uh, so the first question is, is just, uh, what was the first movie you remember ever seeing in a movie theater? Oh, man. Okay, so uh, I can't think of the name of it. It was the, it had the term witch in it, the witch mountain, something about witch mountain. I oh, went to the Vogue yeah. Theater, which was in Chula Vista, which is an old time theater complex, right? Just one theater. It's Return to Witch Mountain. I think that's what it was. Yep. I just had goosebumps. Wow. <laughs> that was a great memory. <laughs> nice. And I, went, I went with my Nana and, um, you know, I loved her to death. She took me and my sister and it was just an amazing time. Awesome. What a great memory. Vogue, what a cool place to see it. Yeah. Um, okay. Here's your next question. Who is the most famous person that you've ever met? Um, I guess David Spade, you know, I met him at a comedy show. That's my claim to fame. <laughs> I don't have a picture, but I met him. I guess that's, I don't know. It's the perfect one. Um, who would I like to meet? But um, that was the one that I did meet. Well, who would you like to meet? Let's, let's answer that one. <laughs> uh, well, there's a lot on my list, but one of my favorite is Robert Downey Jr. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, the Iron Man series. He's one of my favorite, favorite. I know he's been through a lot. Um, emotionally and, you know, through his life, I would just love to chat, you know, with him. Great. Awesome. Maybe we can, maybe we can make that happen. Right yeah, here maybe. On this show. maybe we'll listen to our podcast. Yeah. That's right. right? <laughs> yep. All right. Last question is kind of a two-part question. Okay. Um, where is the first place you ever flew on an airplane and how old were you? And mm-hmm. where is the next place you are planning or hoping to, to travel to on an airplane? Okay, so the first place I went to um, Los Angeles on an airplane in sixth grade, 
it was just an up and down trip, like, you know, a sixth grade trip. And then uh, I would love to, like, I'm, I'm looking forward, you know, forward thinking. I would love to retire to Puerto Vallarta, you know, to have like a casita there so I can do some, you know, a couple months there, a couple months here. So I, I would love to that to be our next trip. That sounds great. See, uh, see if you can save us a room at the yeah, center. Sure. Yeah, we'll have an that. extra guest room for Come sure. Thank you. Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for playing along with us. And again, for being uh, such a, a thoughtful and uh, an insightful guest here on Principles for Principles. And thanks to everybody listening for joining us on this episode of Principles for Principles. If you want more leadership resources, you can subscribe to our Today's Informed Principle tip sheet using the link in the podcast show notes. And if you have any feedback, back or want to give us a shout out on today's episode, you can tweet us at at SD underscore principles. We always love to hear from you and we hope you'll join us again next time for more school leadership tips. Thanks for listening.